On March 11, 2011, my family's life changed dramatically. As a multifaceted disaster wreaked havoc on northeastern Japan, where we had served as missionaries previously. We were called back to serve in disaster relief, recovery, and development for about five years, from 2011 to 2016. My name is Jonathan Straker. I'm a minister here at the Calvary Church of Christ in Alberta, Canada. And what I want to do during this series is to share some of the experiences we had in Japan in order to offer some suggestions for how we might live and serve as Christians facing the current crisis of COVID-19. These suggestions are based on five core questions. What are we grateful for today and what hurts? What resources has God gifted us with? What are the most critical needs right now? What is God leading us to? And finally, how will we get there? Last week we talked about where we've been, where we are and where we're going, both in terms of a disaster recovery timeline and also in light of our faith story. I suggested that we're probably on the front end of a long journey with the worst yet to come. But also that one, God's people have been here before, Two, we are making this journey with God in our midst. And three, we are ultimately headed to an existence with God in which the sea, representing chaos and death, is no more. So this week I want to talk a bit about sustainability. Meaning, the coming months are going to be a strain on our mental health. What will sustain us for the long haul? Particularly, what resources do we find in our faith that will carry us through? There are actually quite a number of things that I might recommend, but I want to focus on two practices, gratitude and lament. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In the disaster in Japan, um, nobody in the Northeast was untouched. Everybody lost something. And many of the things that they lost were significant. They lost their loved ones. They lost their children, sometimes pulled from their arms uh, in the water. They lost their parents, their siblings, their spouses, um, extended family, their closest friends. They lost their homes, their businesses, uh, their property. They lost their livelihoods. Uh, They didn't lose their debts. They still owed that. So we had a friend nearby who owned a a ramen shop, I mean, within easy walking distance of our house. Like others, he had lost uh, a lot. He'd had to rebuild his home. Um, He actually had to rebuild his home twice because when he did rebuild it, it ended up being on an evacuation route that he had to tear it down and build it again. But he told us about some of the changes that took place in the community immediately after the tsunami. This is kind of a rural fishing village that we moved into. And people had always greeted one another. So you'd come out in the morning and if you saw your neighbor, you'd say, Konnichiwa, you know, which means hello. But the greetings changed from hello to how are you? Do you have everything you need? Are you doing okay? Uh, And this signified this whole change that happened in the community called Kizuna, which means kind of community bond. Uh, or togetherness, fellowship, we might say. Even though they lost all of this, folks held on to the things that they um, didn't lose. If they had their health, they were thankful for it. 
They were thankful for the kids that they didn't lose. They were thankful for their family. Uh, they were thankful for their friends. They were thankful for the land that was around them. Uh, when, as they returned to jobs, they were thankful for their jobs that they kept uh, or that they could get back. They were thankful for the volunteers and the service for all of the new people that they met who came into the situation. And they were also thankful for the ways that they could serve, that they could give back, that they could help each other. Um, we were the recipients of some of that hospitality. But if you ask the people in the community if they were thankful for the tsunami, no one in their right mind said they were thankful for the tsunami. It brought so much suffering. But if you ask them what they were thankful for, they could tell you. Gratitude is being thankful. It's identifying things that give you joy or life. Being grateful is nearly synonymous with rejoicing. It's interesting to me that Paul says rejoice as a command. He commands the people to rejoice, which means, to some extent, it's a decision. Be grateful. It's, it's a feeling. I feel gratitude when I receive something that I want or that I need. It's also a decision. We talk about this with our kids all the time. Choose gratitude. I focus on that. Intentionally naming the things that we're grateful for is not an exercise in dishonesty or sugarcoating. I think in this situation, it's a survival thing. It's about leveraging the things that we have in order to not be overwhelmed by the things that we've lost. No one who experienced the effects of the tsunami directly were grateful that the tsunami happened. But in the midst of suffering, they found things to hold on to. And that's what I'm talking about. Maybe that's why Paul can issue rejoicing as a command. Sometimes gratitude and rejoicing are natural emotions, but sometimes they're a choice. A choice that can make the difference between sanity and despair. Okay, so listen to me. Choosing gratitude is not an abstract idea. It's a concrete action. When I say choose gratitude, I don't mean something cliche like, we should have the attitude of gratitude. I remember hearing that as a kid and it still kind of makes me choke a little bit. I mean, take a pen and paper tonight before you go to bed and sit down and write 10 things that you're grateful for. If you can't think of 10, write five. If you can't think of five, write three or even one or do it tomorrow morning when you wake up and make that a new habit. Because as we continue to feel the effects of this, what I think is a disaster, COVID, um, it's physical impact, uh, relational and emotional. Um, some of my family members have contracted the sickness already, so I'm worried about them. The economic impact, uh, the impact all around us and on, on our finances personally, there's going to be some suffering. There's a lot that we may lose. So make it a habit of writing down a few things that you're grateful for in spite of that. Don't feel guilty about the things that you name. Don't rate them. Don't grade them. Don't brag. Don't compare. Just write some things down that you're grateful for. It will help keep you afloat. If you have kids, do this with your kids. Because even now, some of the research is coming out that our children are feeling anxiety that they may or may not be expressing to us. And it helps for us to give them some tools to deal with the, the anxiety that they sense in the world around them right now. If they can focus on some things that they have, that they can hold on to, that they can be grateful for, it will help them.
it will sustain them. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The command to rejoice, the command to be grateful without the freedom to lament, would be a hollow and a broken faith. Lament is nearly synonymous with complaint. Within our Jewish Christian heritage, it means taking our complaints to God. I might describe it as taking our darkest feelings to God. Because where else do they belong? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. These were the last words of Jesus on the cross in the book of Matthew. There's a good chance that either when Jesus cried out these words on the cross, he quoted the whole thing, or Jesus, or the gospel writers who recorded his words, use them as a sort of short form that would have been understand, understood by the Jewish community. If I were to belt out the first part of Whitney Houston's famous ballad, you want me to do I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I will... You can finish the rest of the phrase, most of you. Uh, for those of you who are Elvis fans, if I were to sing, Love me tender, love me true you could finish the phrase, right? For those of you who grew up in a cappella churches of Christ, if I sing, there is beyond the azure blue, you're going to finish the phrase, a God concealed from human sight, right? Because you know these songs. Most of you could finish the entire song. Um, it would have been the same thing for Jesus' community in Jesus' day when he or the gospel writers cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The listeners would automatically think the rest, of the, ver the rest of the song. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. And many could likely have finished the rest of the song because it's a song they knew and sang. They sang laments. This is one of the song books that we use. This song is a great hymn book. I love it. It's called Songs of Faith and Praise. It's not called, though, Songs of Faith, Praise, and Lament. And that's a problem. The Psalter, the book of Psalms, was the songbook of ancient Israel and the church for most of its history. And some 42 psalms, almost a third of the psalms in our Bible, are laments. Somewhere along the line, we lost the language for being honest with God about our darkest feelings and experiences. And I think we're going to need that language in days to come. In Japan, we asked the lo local people why they didn't um, share their suffering with each other more, why they didn't talk about it more. And they explained to us that, you know, Everybody has suffered so much. Why would I burden them more with my suffering? So one of the services that we could offer as outsiders was our ears. We listened. 
um, we made space for their lament. But here's what happened. Uh, we had a friend who, um, her story is so tragic. She, when the tsunami, when the earthquake hit, when the tsunami was on, on its way, she was holding her one-year-old son safe in her arms. Uh, she worked at a long-term care home for elderly folks, so she gave the boy to her husband and went to take care of the folks that she served. In the meantime, the tsunami came and swept her son away, and she lost her baby. When Michiko asked her, uh, you know, about her story and invited her to share, this friend told us, I can share some of this with you, but if you could tr truly absorb my pain, it would break you. And she was right. It nearly did break us. We, we listened and listened and listened to the people suffering. And it was hard on our marriage. It was hard on our mental health. Um, our anxiety and stress levels went way up. Um, Michiko suffered from vertigo. We both um, came very close to burning out. But here's the thing. Our lament won't break God. He is big enough for it. He is deep enough for it. It's probably why he's called our rock in scripture. Because we can take all of the hardest things we have in life and throw it at God and it's not going to break him. And the Psalms are an open invitation for us to do that. They give us language to take all of this stuff that we deal with into God's presence. So that's really what I wanted to share today. Uh, two things that you can carry with you into the desert, right? One is gratitude and the other is lament. If gratitude is a command or a decision in a sense, lament is a privilege. It's a right that we have in God. It's an invitation. I want to share one final story of gratitude. So our neighbors across the street in Japan um, were an elderly couple who just kind of adopted our family. They took care of us. Our kids were over there all the time uh, watching TV with them, eating their food. And when we talked about gratitude with them, the wife, she took great joy. She was grateful for the chance um, to do something for the helpers. Right? We were there as helpers. They were local community members struggling through this disaster. She was grateful when she could help the helpers. What I want to talk about next week is us being grateful for the gifts that God has given us that we can use to serve others, even when we're the victims of the disaster.